Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Grace Garage Pod with co-host Jason Pridmore. I'm Greg White. On the line is Jason Pridmore. And this podcast is supported by Bike911.com. If you need some legal help and you want to help support the podcast, jump on over to Bike911.com. Reach out to our boy Alex Asante for some advice or some legal help or whatever you need. He's a motorcycle enthusiast just like you. Knows racing, rides on the street. His kids race, right, Jay? Bicycles or something? Yeah, studs, man. It's funny seeing them get growing older as we watch them on Instagram. So, yep, doing uh, they're doing good, though. What's up, G-Dub? Not much, dude. You're just getting back from Chuckwalla Valley Raceway. Big multi-day weekend, right? Like, how is that? Yeah. Yeah, it was great. It was a, it was a, it's been like a pretty wild last three weeks for me. So, uh, but yeah, it's been, it's been good. And we kept our season off there at Chuckwalla as we do each year. Uh, Femwalla was a huge hit again on Friday. So that was a lot of fun. Donated a bunch of money, um, or raised a lot of money that was donated. Tell us so a little bit good. more about Femwalla though, for those people that don't know. Well, it's, it's, it's for a great cause, uh, the Unforgettables. And, um, basically it's, um, it's an all ladies track day on the Friday before SoCal in December. And I think this year, G Dub, they had 80 ladies or more. Um, and they do a bunch of raffling. Uh, everybody's, everybody's donating something. So in the evenings, they have a nice dinner for everyone with a lot of really great raffles. And, uh, that gets to be pretty wild. Um, you know, uh, you remember Alex Dunstan? Remember Alex? Of course. His, yeah. Um, yeah. His wife, Jen, his wife, Jen, Jen she's, she's Zilla. actually. She's actually hilarious. She does all the raffling and, um, you know, it's a big job and it's a pretty high energy job and she's, she's capable of, uh, getting everybody excited about the raffle. And like I said, a lot of money's donated. Unforgettables is a, is a charity that helps parents, um, with the expenses of burying a child. And, um, you know, I've been part of it since we started out there it's a charity that's really close to to Mickey Grana. Um, the you know basically Mickey runs everything going on at Chuckwalla, and um, yeah, it's been a <clears throat> excuse me, it's been a great thing for so many years for them. So uh, yeah, I'm just happy to be a part of it. We get out there, and a few a few of the guys are out there helping some of the ladies, and then I do all the two up rides. So I give a bunch of two up rides um, for donations. So it was good. Should we talk about the elephant in the room real quick? The Corey West, Jeff White. No, that Jeff oh. White was out. Corey West. That Jeff White was out over the weekend, or should we just skip it? Because who? Wants no, no, no. We're going to talk about Jeff White in the podcast. I thought you were talking about Corey West. Sorry, I'm still a little bit sick. If you can't tell, not sick, but my voice is just nuts. Um, yeah, you sound like shit. Yeah, thank That's you true. so much. Appreciate mm-hmm. that. Uh, mm-hmm. I was cracking up because Patricia Fernandez and Corey West were out there, who just recently got married. And obviously, I've known Patricia for a long time and worked with her, and I've known Corey forever. Next thing you know, G-Dub, Corey's standing there, and I go, what's up, man? He's like, I want to go for a two-up. He's like, I donated. I'm like, what? <laughs> and so I, it's really strange, you know, and I don't know why it is, but when I'm giving my two-ups, you know, I'm just out there rolling around. I'm not, there's no, I don't know if you'd call it pressure. I mean, I'm just out there having fun. And, um, but then when like somebody like Corey or, you know, I've had like Josh Hayes, like waiting in line for me to go for a two up ride or any of the guys that I've worked with that want to go. I, you know, it's like this, you got to be perfect, right? You got to make it absolutely, you know, perfect laps. And I just, I want a core to enjoy himself. And, and uh, you know, it's, it's when you have one of your peers that just jumps on the back of your motorcycle, you know, you want to make sure that you do everything the right way. So we had a good couple laps. 
You know what's funny, Jay, is that one of the nicest guys in our paddock is Cameron Peterson, and he's actually sitting here on the line right now waiting to talk to us because he's part of this podcast. Hey, Cam yeah. P, what's up, dude? What's going on, guys? What's so up, Cam? Since, you, since you're here and you're a nice guy and you never deny me the ability <laughs> to tell a good story like Jason does all the time, I'm now going to tell you a bit of a story. Okay, so this relates, this Cam, relates to... This hope you have the rest of your day, Cam. Hope you have the rest of your day free. <laughs> So Jason mentioned that he's had some fast people on the back of his bike. He, he failed to mention me, I mean, which, which really kind of hurts me on the inside. But a situation happened <laughs> a number people. of years ago when Jordan, Michael Jordan still had a team and everything else. And I used to spend the summer winters, I should say, out, out in California working with Jason's old school at Chuckwalla. And I'm getting ready to get out of my leathers. It was like 4 o'clock in the afternoon. I've been riding all day, a stock GSX-R1000. And Jason books over to me and says, hey, I got a surprise for you. Come on over. So I go over there and they let me get on Roger Hayden's bike and do, I was supposed to do a couple laps, right, Jay? And I just- Well, we were listening. testing for Jordan. You kind of, you- Yeah. You yeah the over team the was fact that you were there testing. The, the team super was bike. testing. Super, super bike, right? So anyway, they the, this short story is they set a pit board out, whatever. And I just missed, I couldn't see the pit board. You know what I mean? Yeah, so for I, 10 sure, laps. Yeah, sure you couldn't. <laughs> yeah, they, I think it was supposed to be like four laps. I ended up doing 10. Anyway- <laughs> Yosh was there as well, and the crew chief at the time, Peter Doyle, I said, why don't you let me ride your bike? And he said, oh, if you can get down to this lap time on this street bike, we'll let you ride it. So it took me like all day. I did, and so I go to test. He didn't. I did. <laughs> He's I did ballsing too. up, dude. You're ballsing up. It was like a point nine eight. It was like a point no, whatever it was, like a fifty two point nine eight, whatever it was, a forty something. Doesn't matter. You're, yeah, here's you're here's old, the point. Dude. Here's the point. <laughs> we we get done right, and Jason goes. Jason goes, we're out riding. And Jason goes, hey, look, man, when you go into the bowl at Chuck Walla, you've been to Chuck Walla, Cameron, right? Yeah. 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 So we're going clockwise. And he goes, when you go into the bowl, you got to drive it into the bowl. You're like off the gas, coasting through the bowl. You're going to need it on the super bike because you need to collapse the front, get the thing to turn. I'm like, hey, yeah, yeah, no problem. No problem. So we go out right around. We do like two laps. Jason pulls me in. He goes, you're not getting it, man. You're not. Just get on the back of the bike. I'm like, what? He's like, get on the back. I'm going to show you how to do this thing. We got on stock. They're stock bikes, dude. Blinkers, headlights, the whole deal. Q3 pluses or something. Dunlops. <laughs> Bro, we go hauling off into the bowl and I poop my pants. I mean, it was like, <laughs> holy shit. You could go this deep into the bowl. And he's like, dude, I wasn't even going that fast. It's like, you got to drive it up the bowl. Like it's, it's got banking. It's, it's, it slows you down. Like what aren't you getting? But dude, I'm that, that one thing. I couldn't get on my own. Like I couldn't do it and I saw it and I was, it, it got me one, one second a lap faster just doing it. It's, it's that two up, that whole two up deal is such a great tool to be able to, because there's times, I mean, obviously JP, you guys know you can explain something to somebody for two weeks and they will not get it. You know, some yeah. people just have to feel yeah. it and they get that feeling and then it's, it's a game changer. But, um, that's That'd be a super because, camp. Can you do two up on a flat track bike? Yeah. <laughs> no, but great. But great camp. That's a great point because you know how many times, like I've had some, some pretty famous motocrossers on the back of my bike too, which is really cool. But it's like, if I could actually feel what it's like to go off a triple and actually feel it, it would, it would probably make a lot of sense. Or I see you flat tracking or, you know, at, at Danny's thing and um, doing three sixties. And I'm like, it'd be so great to actually, be on the back and feel that, but it's impossible to do. And in our sport, we can actually take people for a, a right. two up ride. And, right. you know, so it's, it's, but it's, it's definitely a feel now real quick. I'm going to, I'm going to fix Greg's story because his story is so 
bad. It's a, and I'm going to fix it real quick. We're out there testing super hey, bikes in the, the ocean. There, I'm going to keep my short. I'm going yeah. to no, keep no, it short. He, I kept mine short. Yeah. Yours. Yosh gave him a lap time that he had to do to ride one of his bikes or to ride one of their bikes. Okay. And Greg on a stock bike got really close, like really close. It was like 0.2, three, four of a second of the lap time. They told him that he had to do on a stalker to get on a super bike and he didn't do it. Now, Greg goes back to my trailer and, and Cam, I'm not kidding you. It was literally like a little kid who saw all the presents at Christmas day underneath the tree and then was told he can't open any of them. Like they're not of them his. So he goes and gets in the trailer. So I go over to Pete at Jordan team and go, Hey, listen, Greg's been out there busting his ass trying to do this lap time. And he got really close, but Yosh won't let him ride their bike and blah, blah, blah. I said, can we throw him on one of ours? Pete goes, yeah, go get him. So I went over the trailer. Greg's in there taking his, his stuff off cam. And you would have thought that the world had come to a complete end, right? You would have, you know. I'm telling you, this is the exact <laughs> truth. May, it so might then happen I, like this. I said, oh, hey, I'm man. Sure. I said, hey, man, come on. They're going to let you ride the Jordan Superbike. And it was like Christmas all over again. G-Dub had that boots laced up, running over there. <laughs> the team says, hey, go out and do four or five laps. Well, on the 10th lap, would the pit board's been out for five laps saying, come in. G-Dub's still out there ripping laps around. We had to basically <laughs> throw something at him to get him off the track. And that's how the story goes, G-Dub. All right, but, but Jay, when it comes to my approach to riding – how how do I approach like in terms of like I tend to cam go a little bit quicker and a little bit quicker and a little, like you know what I mean? Yeah, so I no, you build going. up to it. No, you, I build you, yeah, and it, but sure. takes time. So I just kept going, like every lap I'm going a little bit quicker and it's got a lap timer on it. Which I mean I I never you know when we were doing the schools out there we had stock bikes we had no lap timers so I keep seeing the thing going down and then the next lap going down and I'm just like yeah and I'm not even paying attention. And Chuck Wallace straightaway is about as long as my arm. And that's true. So that's I probably the only it. place you can actually look down at your bars. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's busy there. It's busy it's there. So, very busy, well, look, but anyway, hey, whatever. we got Cam on. And Cam, first off, thanks for joining us today, man. It's uh, it's great having you on here. Obviously, you know, I've been a big fan of yours for a long time. So I appreciate you coming on and joining with us. No, I appreciate it. And thanks for having me, guys. I know we've been trying to get this dialed in for a while and things have been kind of all <laughs> over the place. But no, I'm stoked to be on and yeah, happy to chat to you guys. Yeah, especially right you know, before Christmas. And I know you're helping your pops. Your your pops moving all that kind of stuff, but yeah. Um, Jay, do you want to do you want to get up with Cam or with Cam right now and go through the stuff and do a ride yeah, news later, or do you want to include? Yeah, let's him do that ride news. Let's do all that. Let's do that a little bit later. Let's get Cam right. now so he can get in and out. And you're helping Dad move this morning, were you? Yeah. So, uh, shit, man, my dad, he, he's been so busy the last two years, and um, you know, obviously, still trying to, you know, plant some roots and and find a home somewhere. So um, he moved to California to be closer to us. And um, it's just, it's just not possible. And, and spe- especially living in him, it's, it's, it's pretty scary out there. So um, the nice thing is he, my dad's got a great relationship with JD beach. And um, I guess SSN, the team, they were looking for a, for a mechanic of a, a crew chief to, to go racing and JD put my dad's name in. So, so yeah, my dad's no. moving. Yeah, my dad's moving. To no, Kentucky. we're losing your dad in the Moto America no paddock. No way. I think so. I think so. Yeah. <laughs> Big news. Big news has been shared. <laughs> yeah. Oh. So uh, yeah, I I I get it though. He needs to he needs to do something that's going to make him happy, and he needs to go. You know, 
just just he's got a lot of lot of life left in him and he needs to enjoy it absolutely yeah yeah so he's going to he's going to basically owensboro is he's moving to owensboro yeah i think so like i think for the first little bit he's staying with jd and jd is so good to my dad it's it's unbelievable the relationship they have so uh, it's it's pretty cool knowing that he's going to be there with jd and they're going to get to do a lot of cool stuff how can any be how can anybody be anything but cool to your dad so robbie peterson's a guy obviously i knew and got to watch he your dad believe it or not when i was racing because he was a little bit obviously ahead of me but i was i was coming through the ranks but you know it's really funny cam because you you see people and you never really get close to them and you always are like gosh you know i'd love to meet robbie and i met your dad when he actually crashed right in front of me at the willow springs 24 hour a zillion years ago no and i i went to check on him because it was such a big accident and that's how we kind of got to know each other just i mean he was so kind to me and i i he'd done this big accident on a honda right in front of me and uh but he's yeah he's he's an amazing amazing guy so that's our our loss for sure losing him in the paddock and essence's game you know so Uh, even for me i mean it's uh you know obviously i'm in the best hands possible but honestly it's nice just to to look over and see my dad there and go chat to him on the weekends you know it's pretty nice so yeah it's gonna it's gonna suck not having him there Hopefully he can make some rounds, the ones that maybe don't conflict, and he can maybe make some rounds, hopefully. Yeah. Um, so, Cam, for those people, I mean, obviously they've they've seen you this year if they watch uh, Moto America, you know, Medallia Superbike or whatever. But tell us a little bit about how you got to where you are now, because your story of racing is about as up and down as it comes. <laughs> and, I mean, tell us, tell us from – from your your childhood in South Africa and some of the racing you've done, and then obviously trying to make it here in the states. Yeah, it's a it's a long story. I mean, you know, my dad he had three brothers. They all raced around the world and at the top level. And um, so I was I was born into it. And and honestly, I was always going to be a motorcycle racer no matter what. So um, you know, I my first few motorcycles were all hand me downs from my sister. Um. And yeah, I just started racing motocross in Zimbabwe and um, won a few championships there, you know, went to South Africa. And at this point, early on in my career, I was purely dirt bikes. I didn't want to touch road racing. I didn't even want to go watch road racing. I was purely dirt bikes. And um, so, yeah, and then, you know, hurt myself a lot, hit my head a lot. And uh, so I had to transition to to road racing like i said i was always going to be a motorcycle racer um and when i went through the stage of hurting myself a bunch on my motocross bike it's probably the only time my mom has stepped in in my career my dad's career anybody's career and said i think you need to stop and do something else so i went and rode a road race bike a a street bike and um funny enough my first ever road time on a road race bike was on brad bender's little uh derby 50 cc um at a track called midville and it had potholes and cracks and grass growing everywhere (laughs) and uh i remember because like the first few sessions nobody told me where to shift or like do anything so i'm short shifting a thing there's guys blowing by me on the straightaways i was shitting in my pants and i remember driving (laughs) i remember driving home that day and i looked at my dad and i said i will never ride another one of those again not another day in my life and um then a few years later i I broke both my femurs and i was in a wheelchair for a long time and 
<laughs> and then that was that was kind of it, you know, purely road racing. And um, yeah, I uh, I won a national in South Africa in my first ever year on the nationals. I was 16, um, uh, beat Ben Sela and a lot of those guys. Um, and then I won a championship in 2013. Uh, 2014, I hurt myself on a 600, and then 2015 came to America. And um, honestly, that's that's where it all kind of began. Uh, you know, everything was fairly smooth sailing up until then, and then, yeah, um, you know, <laughs> and then it started. Yeah, yeah, it's and and obviously looking at it now, it's the best decision we've ever made, and because we had a few options and we were looking at going to Europe or coming to America and uh, doing a bunch of different stuff. But, you know, my dad had lived in America and he'd done it all. And, and uh, he just kind of convinced me that America was a place to be. You could make a home out of it. Everybody speaks the same language. And so, yeah, we came to America, but uh, that first year I'll never forget. I mean, uh, my first ever race in America was at Coda. With the MotoGP weekend, I mean, I can't even tell you the nerves and what I was going through. Um, and then it happened to race during uh, rain during the race, and I'd never raced in the rain, so I was absolutely shitting myself. And and yeah, lucky enough, it, I figured out pretty quick that I enjoyed riding in the rain and actually made a pass for the lead, and uh, then crashed going up into turn one, like four laps into the race, but. Um, yeah, then the rest of the season was was tough. Like I said, I uh, I've never been three seconds slower than anybody in my life. Um, and I think when we went to Atlanta, JD and Gerloff and those guys were like two and a half seconds faster than me, and it went on like that for most of the season. Um, and then you know, luckily with the last four races of of 2015, I was able to actually run up front, you know, um, run with those guys and that kind of started turning things around for me. And then, um, yeah, 2016 had another great opportunity with um, the Orichers and Team Hammer. Um, obviously, teammates with Valentin De Beast had a great year, won my first ever race that year. Uh, that year. A uh, few podiums. Um, and then, honestly, that was that was kind of the start of, of the downfall of, you know, the, the rough part of my career here in America. And, um, yeah, unfortunately for whatever reason, you know, I've, I felt like I rode pretty good that year. I, I showed what I was capable of and I was just left with nothing going into 2017. Um, so yeah, that's, and obviously at that point, you know, my dad, we, he had spent everything he had, he had had for those two years to make sure I could go racing. Um, and then, yeah, just being left with nothing in 2017 kind of, left us scrambling and um but again you know i've i've been so lucky that my dad's had a lot of connections and i've had so many good people in my corner and i feel like that's why i've been able to get to this point where i am is because there's been so many points and so many low points where i've just wanted to stop racing give up i mean it's it's been as as hard as it can possibly get i mean you know buying a pizza and eating a slice a day to to save money and and I mean, as rough as it could possibly get. But then you get guys like Ozzy Dave and Ken Chewy, right, that even though those were the roughest years of my life, I think, you know, 17, 18, 19 was probably 
the hardest time of my life. All those people like Ken Chewy, that was money out of his own pocket. And the program wasn't great. It was a struggle. Um, but, you know, the guy was so passionate about racing. It was money out of his own pocket that, that he put a program together for me to go racing. And uh, like I said, I think just that perseverance and, and never wanting to give up has kind of got me to where I am today. But along with just having so many good people in my corner that have given me opportunities. So, uh, yeah, like I said, I mean, 17, 18, 19 was, was as rough as it could possibly get. And then, um, yeah, 2020, I, I kind of took a step back from the superbike class and, and went to super stock and, and that's where it just all turned around for me. Um, you know, I had a great year that year, won a bunch of races. There was a few races in the superbikes that, you know, I was kind of running with the top five guys or at least close to. And, um, yeah, I really think that that kind of shaped my career was that was 2020. You know, it's funny, um, you know, for me, Greg, when you start, what year did we start doing BN, G-Dub? Uh, 2016. It was 16 because that was the year that I think I was jumping on a couple people's bikes in the paddock. And I remember riding your bike cam at Utah. At Utah. Yep. I remember that. And, and I didn't know you that well because we didn't, we weren't on the TV in 15. So 16. And I remember Greg and I talking about, you know, like, man, he seems like a nice guy. And I went down and I rode your bike that day. And I remember sitting on the wall with you. I only did like a couple of laps and you sat down with me to talk to me about your bike for, I mean, it seemed like 15 minutes. We just chatted, but you were like very, um, you're very real about it. It wasn't just like, you were just asking me questions just to kind of make conversation. You're, and I remember that engagement with you and telling G-Dub, I'm like, man, it was really cool getting to know Cam and talk to him. And I think that's kind of when I started to get to know you a bit. Um, and then 17, were you, is that when you were 17, 18, you were on the Honda Superbike, were you not? 18? 17, I was on Aussie Dave's Cowie, but I only, I only raced that's right. Coda and then um, Atlanta. I wasn't even a big crash. I crashed, but I think... It was one of the steering stops or, or the steering dump or something punched a hole in the frame. And so I, I that's when I stopped racing for the rest of 17. Yeah. And I think that the next big thing I remember, because Greg and I would always say like, man, he's got to be in the paddock. We got it like, and, and I remember being in the same kind of boat that you're in and we all go through those times and it, it's what, how you come out the back end of it. And, and now you're starting to see some of the fruits of that pain that you've had in your career, but specifically I remember, and, I, and I've always wanted to ask you this, and I've always wanted to talk to you about this, but GW and I were calling that race in New Jersey in the pouring rain when you were running third, and I think Raj was second, and he was up the road a bit, and you had a big thing in fourth. And, you know, Greg had said to me something about, like, if Honda can get on the podium, they're going to come back the following year. And I'm sitting there going, that's a lot of weight to put on a young guy's shoulders, like, if that is actually the case. And I was thinking to myself, how kind of unfair that is. And Greg and I, he'll tell you, we talked about this because I was like, you can't, you can't do that to somebody, especially when they're, they're young and, and it's okay to feel pressure. And I remember you falling with about two or three laps to go when you had, I mean, you had 14, tons of room ahead of you. 14 of, seconds yeah. to Tony behind me. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I remember thinking to myself, that's the kind of thing that like takes a young guy and puts the sledgehammer in him even more because you got to go back to the team and it's a horrible feeling that the walk back into your team at that point is I have been there. You feel 
Like, where's the exit? Where do I go? How do I get out of just here? Don't even go back. You know? Yeah. I, like, I just don't yeah, even want to go right. back. And well, you know, that, that year was rough because, you know, the, the year started off really rough as well. Um, that was my first actually ever time on a full blown super bike. Like I said, in 17, I actually didn't really get to ride a big bike a thousand very much. So, um, it started off really rough that year. And I hit my head really hard race one in Atlanta. So I wasn't able to race race two. Then Coda race one was obviously the next race. Um, I think it was raining in the first race. And again, I was going pretty good, ended up crashing. And there was just a few times that year that I remember, like, especially in the beginning, <clears throat> the team dynamic and, and things in the pits were so bad. And I remember being told that if this keeps going on, I'm done. Like, I don't have a ride. And, you know, so that that was kind of the things that were going through my head all year that year. Um, and And to be honest, we were developing a bike that we – you know, for the first three races, there was stuff going on the motorcycle that we had no idea that was going on. Um, so, yeah, that that was a that was a rough one. But yeah, JP, I'll I'll, <laughs> I'll never ever forget that two laps to go, sitting pretty with the podium, and and um, that that's kind of where I, I learned a bunch from that though, because that's the one time in my career where I've backed it off the last few laps. You know, in the rain, I was like, all right, you're yeah. looking good and just backed it off that 10, 10, 15 percent. And, you know, before I knew it, I was, it got it was caught on out. my head. Yeah. But I, yeah, I, and it's how, weird how, for me. Well, yeah. how was that off season? Like, how did you bounce back from that? Because basically the, the, the talking points then was the Broster Chicken program and the Honda were all on your shoulders. Honda was there at the race representing you had a you had the thing wrapped up and then boom, you hit the deck with no like with no pressure whatever and i mean dude when you hit the ground my heart broke for you because i know <laughs> what a good person you are and i knew what was at stake looking back on it now i can pretty much say what you did was just give honda a reason not to come racing because they're just not interested in the u.s they're they don't sell street bikes anymore you know what i mean like so so from that perspective i'm kind of like eh, okay but I mean, at the time, it felt like the whole. So, how do you take that off season, and how do you bounce back from that? And how long did it take you to bounce back from that? Because nineteen. You know, wasn't- the thing is, like, I think, I think I'm lucky. I've gone through all this adversity, and I've gone through all these these hard times because when stuff like that happens, it, it doesn't affect me anymore. You know, I deal with it in in such a completely yeah. different way that, you know, when after a certain amount of time, when I was just going through the ring and being pulled through the bush backwards, it really teaches you and gives you a lot of personality in, in, in hard times. And, and that's when Josh Hayes was, you know, really hands-on in my career and helping me out a lot in that time. And, and, um, he just taught me how to be a professional. Um, he really did, you know, on and off the track and just in everyday life, he, he taught me how to be a professional. And, um, I think that that went a, a long, long way into into just shaping who I am today, and um, and that's like I said, it's almost every single off season has been the same for me up until this one. Um, every single off season has <laughs> been the same, and and signing a two year deal will do that to you, huh? Yeah, I, I yeah can't even <laughs> can't even tell you how nice it is, you know. So um, 
Yeah, I feel, and that's why I tell everybody that's in the paddock now that's kind of struggling and it's too easy to throw in the towel. Um, and I understand how, how difficult this sport is and this industry is to get into it. But I honestly believe that everything happens for a reason. And maybe that crash at Jersey happened for a reason and put me in the position I am today. Cause who knows if I spent another year where I would have been. Um, and everything happens for a reason. I just tell all these guys, there's so many guys in the Twins Cup and Junior Cup and 600s that I see their talents. I've ridden dirt bikes with them. I've, I know how much talent they are. And I, all I can say is just persevere and never ever give up, you know? And, and I honestly believe that good things happen. When did you meet your wife? I met, what year? I met my wife in 2016. So she's been through all the shit, broke ass, eating one slice of pizza a day. Yep. And she still married your shit? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea why, but somehow. And we had her checked out, Cam. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, Is she you, okay? Has she hit her head a few times on the racetrack? I'll tell you That's why. Great. I'll tell That's you why. It's because, like I said, all these people in my corner, Josh Hayes was helping me out, and I was in his, in his condo in Oceanside. And this thing's got a hot tub on the roof. It's right on the beach. It's oh, yeah, yeah. And I remember, I mean, 9,000 steps to get to the second floor. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. obviously, I had no money, but I told Nina, I was like, hey, why don't you just come to Oceanside and we'll we'll go have a date here? And I think it was the house that, that kind of sold it. It was the oh, house that sold it? it? <laughs> yeah, she walked up and she was like, no way you live here. You're not, you're, you're not even paying rent. You're there for free. It's like, yeah, I pay rent here. <laughs> There's no motivation on what she's up to. She really loves you. She's not after your wallet, that's for sure. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, but you know, the thing is, is that Josh went through all that. Like when you talk, everybody's got their story, you know, Cam. It's like, yeah. it doesn't matter who you talk to. Everybody's got their story. And those times, you know, you know, I it was great because when Josh was going through some of that stuff, um, I remember he came and was my teammate. And that to this day, he still gets... You know, he was surprised to get that call from me at the time where I said, hey, I want to have you as my teammate next year. And and the thing is, is that I've got to watch him and I saw the struggles that guy went through. I mean, there were some big crashes in back in the day with him and some bad injuries. And then you see what he does. Right. And, he, you know, you, you train yourself. You understand how to become a professional. So the fact that now you're that guy that's going to be passing that stuff on to the to those kids is in Twins Cup or Junior Cup or whatever it is. I think. uh I remember the one time too. The other thing I remember about you was was the the kind of retirement email that you sent out that I was laughing at because I'm like, this kid is not <laughs> even close to done. And I would sit there and you know, G Dub and I talk weekly, whether he wants to or not. You know, me and him are always on the phone or talking about our sport. And I'm like, that email or that letter you wrote was at the was at the low time. You know, it's at the like, hey, I I don't know what to do here. And uh, was that at the time after the crash in atlanta on the on aussie dave's bike where the it was at that time it was right after that wasn't it yeah it was literally at the track i remember we made the decision i sat my dad down and i made the decision at the track you're like i'm you know, done with this shit yeah yeah well because yep. he was already he was already trying to scramble to find parts and oh. you know living out of suitcases and going from couch to couch and stuff like that that i just I said, listen, I, this our family matters too yep. much. I was like, this is what are we doing? This is <laughs> this is as stupid as it can be. Um, so yeah, I made it at the track. Yep, I remember that day. I remember that day talking to your dad. I remember talking to him about the frame, and I mean, I, like it was so vividly in my mind right now. I remember having that discussion with him. So, 
Well, Cam, you persevere, you, you persevere, right? And then you get to ride with M4 and you do well on that superbike. And then the opportunity comes with Yamaha last year. So with all the stuff that we talked about, I'm really curious to find out now that you have like the gig, you have the ride, you're actually a racer professionally, you're, you have money to buy a pizza a day if you want <laughs> wow, and that. get fat like me if you want. Right. Um, was there it, it, was there some kind of pressure beginning with the M4 team or maybe even with the freshly progressive attack Yamaha team to say, OK, I've made it now. I can't blow this opportunity. Or did all the stuff that you've gone through kind of season you to kind of to get a little bit chill about what what is that going on? I think I think for sure it might have affected me a little bit more this year on the Yamaha um, than what it did last year, because. Last year, I didn't crash out of a race. I, I think I probably crashed the bike two or three times all year, I think. Um, you know, um, but but definitely this year, for some reason, I was putting all kinds of pressure on myself. For, for some reason, last year, I didn't really feel it. Um, you know, I just kind of had the same mindset as always. I was like, I'm just going to go do my job. And and then for some reason this year, I, I for sure put more pressure on myself in the beginning of the season. I was, um, I was just expecting myself to, to go win races and, and be the guy, but you know, that's not the case. And, um, yeah, I just, for some reason, I was putting all kinds of pressure on myself in the beginning and, and it took the team, the whole team, Richard, Tom, uh, everybody, they just sat me down. They're like, there's no pressure on you. There's no pressure. You know, you just, Go do your thing and everything's going to figure itself out. There's no pressure. So, um, and, and to be honest, you know, I've got, I've got Ethan Southern pride performance in my corner. Um, he works with, he works with Teague and Steve Hobbs and a bunch of guys. <laughs> Sorry guys. Um, <laughs> That's okay. uh, he's telling me his run this morning wasn't long enough. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so yeah, so I, I completely lost where we were. Sorry, guys. No, you're talking about Ethan and Teague oh, and all yeah. that. So yeah, Ethan, um, you know, he's he's helping me out on on the mental side of things and and physical side of things, and uh, we hop on a call once a week and, and just chat chat about things. And um, yeah, it it took a lot of convincing and a lot of talking about it and a lot of thinking about it and to to change my mindset because. Of, Get out of here. <laughs> See? Hey, wait a second. Hey, Are you telling me stuff. real life real yes. life happens to, <laughs> yeah. to, to fa- big, famous, fast motorcycle racers? Um, but yeah, it, it, it took me a long time to get out of that mindset because of my past experiences, you know, um, just, to, just to kind of slow things down and, and trust in the process, and especially with the people I have in my corner and just I, I got to trust the process. When did you things start you, to oh, click? Sorry, sorry, Jay. Yeah, when did no. things start to click this season for you? Because it looked like the last couple rounds, things really you really started to settle into it. Yeah, I mean, the bike was honestly it was really good all year. Um, obviously, a bike that I could be competitive with and and go pretty fast on. But um, New Jersey, we. You know, Richard did a lot of thinking and a lot of research, and um, we kind of went into New Jersey with just a completely different game plan. 
And we were going to try a whole bunch of different things because of some of my complaints and some of the stuff that I was struggling with. Um, so yeah, we completely ran a different chassis and it just really gave me so much more front end feel that that was kind of the turning point. I mean, I was comfortable on the bike all year long, but just getting that last little bit out of the bike was, was at New Jersey, you know, and then, um, like, like even taking that setting that I ended the season off and then going to Button Willow a few weeks ago, the fastest I've ever gone around there, you know, was able to break the track record. I mean, everybody did, but you know, it was still nice to go back to a track that I'd been testing at and go faster than I've ever been around there. So, um, yeah, I feel like New Jersey, we stumbled across, not stumbled, but we found that, that setting. You carried that into Barber though, too, because I watched the first session pretty intently at Barber and I remember Jake kind of getting out, you know, in front of you, actually you followed, he followed you out. He kind of jumped in front and your first stint there at Barber was a long one on Friday morning. Um, I remember watching it pretty closely because all of a sudden, you know, Jake kind of got two, three seconds up the road and about six, seven laps in, you started to catch back up and you were running incredibly fast times. And you can always tell when a rider's comfortable when you see them in that very first session, staying out there and putting in a bunch of laps and being confident doing so. And that's something I, I still need to work on, to be honest. You know, like I'm not the greatest at that, but when I'm feeling comfortable and confident and and I have so much fun on the bike that I'll just stay out there purely for joy, you know, like like I think that's yeah. what it was at Alabama. I think I was just because we had found that setup, we didn't change anything on the bike. It was so damn good that weekend that I just was riding purely out of joy. Like, you know, yep. that was me at Chuck Walla. You can't get him to shut up about it. Same, can't. What? Yeah. You know, Cam, I'll tell you the other thing too. And, and maybe you could touch on this real briefly because, you know, you talked about your pressures at the beginning of the year. And I remember talking to you a little bit about some of that too. Um, I think that the expectation comes from when you see what that motorcycle has done with the riders that have been on it in front of you. And you see how close you have come to their lap times on another bike. And you think to yourself, well, if I can get within sort of half a second to a second of them on something else, and then you jump on that and you're like, I know I'm good for a second or better Yep. if I get on the bike. Um, and then all of a sudden, you it's almost like you've underestimated how good you ride on the bike that you were on the year before. And then you get on this bike and you realize, if I ride the same, I'm still three tenths off of let's say Gagne, you know, three tenths is a lot over the course of a race. Right. Um, talk about that pressure that it, it, that a lot of people don't understand that, that, that your expectation coming into this season was I'm going to jump on this bike and win right away because I know what I yeah. did on the bike prior. Well, that's a hundred percent right, JP. I mean, that's, that's exactly it, right? Because this team have been so dominant and they've won so many things and you see what the guys are capable of. Like you said, that's exactly like road Atlanta when I crashed and I hurt my hand. <clears throat> that was exactly the mindset I had, you know, like got my first race weekend under my belt, whatever. Going into Atlanta, like you said, I was like, watch out, here I come, you know, because of that exact feeling. You're like, okay, I'm on this bike. And it was like five laps into the session. I'd already got up to a certain lap time. And I was like, okay, well, I did this on my Suzuki. I did this last year. These guys are capable of doing this on this motorcycle. 
watch out, here I come. And then before I knew it, I was crashing and hurting myself and just pushing in the wrong places. And um, so absolutely, I feel like that adds to it 110% is, is the, the fact that, you know, you're going to the team, you're going to the bike that have been so dominant. They've got lap records everywhere and you just expect to, to automatically go half a second faster. Yep. You know? But what I think a lot of what a lot of people get lost in, and we talk about it on the podcast a lot, is that it's more than just a motorcycle. It's the relationship that you have to build and grow with your team. It's the understanding of how you talk to each other, the verbiage that you speak. They have to understand what you mean by certain things that you say that you feel when you come off the track. Um, and I think that it's it's a combination of all those before the bike actually becomes yours. And it, and it can take half a season yeah. easily to do that. Yeah. And and. You know, like you said, it's it's easy enough to get to a certain lap time, but to find that extra two tenths, half a second, that's where all that little stuff outside of just riding a motorcycle comes into play, you know? Cameron, is it safe to say, like, what we see with a guy like Stamboli or anybody, really, is the evolution of bikes? Like, when Factory Yamaha was in play, you had Josh Hayes and then Cameron Bobier gets on there and he's got to ride Josh's setup until it takes time for Cameron Bobier to figure out how he likes a bike. Then all of a sudden they, we transition to the team that you're on now and Jake Gagne's first year, he's got to ride Cameron's setup. Now Jake finds his own way. He gets speed. So the thing that I see through conversations I've had in the paddock is, is that Bobier tends to make a lot of his speed on the front. Gagne tends to make most of his speed on the rear but you tend to make most of your speed on the front. So is it the fact that it was the evolution development of the bike and how it makes speed that you needed to kind of get what Jason's talking about, that communication with the crew and then have Stamboli think about it. Did they end up giving you a motorcycle that kind of drifted back towards where Cameron Bobier's setup was like in terms of the balance of the bike to give you more front end feel? Or is the bike in two years developed way beyond that point? I mean, it, it has developed a lot. I, I, you know, I feel like there's a lot of, um, chassis stuff, trail numbers. There's a lot of stuff that are different to our cam road. Um, but no doubt, you know, the more comfortable that, that I got with the team and the more data we looked at of my riding and the way I rode for sure. When we overlap the data, my, my riding style was way more comparable to, to cam B, um, than it is to Jake. Um, so for sure, you know, like going into Laguna, we, we try to run more of cams, cam set up there. And, and we definitely started to, I feel like go towards a little bit more of cams set up still with some of my things. Um, cause it, it was funny at the beginning of the season, I, mine and Jake set up even at the testing and our bikes were almost pretty much exactly the same. And I felt like we did ride very similar and then the more I rode and the more I rode with Jake and the more I got behind them and the more I got familiar with them, I realized that we couldn't be any more opposite, honestly. Um, you know, we, <laughs> yeah. we make speed completely different. So, um, like JP says, I think, I think it took time for the trust and everything to be built, um, to understand the communication. And then once they realized that, that there's other routes that we can go to make, me comfortable on the bike fast then we for sure started exploring some of that stuff a little bit more you know um like like that that setup at jersey and barber was something that they'd never run on the bike they'd never tried it was something completely brand new and um which which is cool and because 
Cam and Jake and everybody have seen being so dominant, so fast on the bike, that baseline setup pretty much is what it is, you know, for any rider, the bike's so good. Um, but I think with me riding so different allowed Richard to kind of go explore whole different aspects to where they haven't been to before. Um, which is pretty cool. And it worked. They love know? that. Like, like for, for Richard, that's <laughs> yeah. the greatest thing in the world for Richard. Cause he loves to tinker as you know. And I mean, he's never happy no matter what, if you win the race by seven seconds, it's why couldn't we have won by eight? You know, sometimes yep. it's like, so, but, but that's what makes him great because he's constantly trying to move the goalpost a little bit. And I think that uh, the fact that you have found something, I mean, even just listening to you now talking about going out there and riding there a couple of weeks ago at Button Willow, that's the stuff that fuels you for that first race of the year. And how many more how many more test dates do you guys have do you feel um, between now and then? Not a hundred percent sure, but um I know we've got we're testing end of Jan, so I'd like to say normally like three, four tests, you know. Um and but one of them will be on the six hundred, getting ready for Daytona. Yep. You're yeah. doing Daytona, right? Yeah. Just you? Yeah. Yeah. I had to go back. Got some unfinished, un- yeah, unfinished yeah, business yeah. there, huh? Unfinished business, yeah, 100%. Because <laughs> it, it was the first time you went there. It was the first time you went there, though, last yep. year, right? Yep, first time. Yep. Never okay. seen it. Never got it. You got a big smile on your face. Did you like it, or did you, like, what did you think of Daytona? I absolutely loved it. I thought the whole weekend, I, I loved the race, and it didn't feel like an endurance race. I thought it was going to be long as hell. I mean, I didn't even have a sip of water the whole race. You know, they were yelling at me. They're like, water, water, water. I was like, nah, I'm good. Let's go. Because everybody was battling and the passing and the drafting and just like thinking about it, trying to come up with a plan. Like I was having so much fun. I was having so much yeah. fun. Mm. You know, the greatest thing about that race, G-Dub, that you and I have talked about was last year with the way they set the qualifying up and the the – um, what's the word I'm looking for? The the difference in times between the fast guys and maybe some of the tail enders was so much closer that even the passing and the back marker situation was so much better last year than Greg and I had ever seen it. Because we, when we called the race, we couldn't believe it. it was like the groups were staying together. They weren't getting yeah. so busted up. So it made yeah, it I really mean, for good racing. Having to ride it and everything, I I thought the traffic and lappers, I mean, they didn't really mess anything up in the race. No, it was great. Yeah. Yeah, it was good. Uh, let's let's talk about uh, Superbike this year and your competition. What was what's the real scoop about having Petrucci in the paddock? What do you think about having that dude there? What do you think about some of his comments at the beginning of the season? How is it real when you guys are on the podium celebrating together? Like, what was the deal with Petrucci? <laughs> oh, I'm putting you on the spot. I know you're just sitting there smiling. No, but. I uh, I tell you what. I mean, obviously massive fan of the guy when when he came in i honestly couldn't believe that i was going to be able to race and get to race a guy like danilo been watching him for years such a big fan and all the respect in the world for him and um yo when he schooled us at coda i was like this is going to be a long year um (laughs) yeah but then yeah i mean obviously i think he did elevate us you know, I I feel like even going into the season, those first few races of Atlanta, I mean, he, he made us elevate our game and we knew we were going to have to be on it for the rest of the season. Um, But yeah, it's just un- unfortunate that, you know, the year started off the way it did with some of the comments he was saying about the series and the tracks. and um, But I understand where he's come from and what he's been racing for the last 
20 years of his life or whatever it was. Um, but yeah, I, I just, you know, Motor America, they've, this is where I've made my life. They've done everything. I, I think it's amazing. And yeah, I lost so much respect for him when he came in and he just started complaining about everything. The and, series. Yeah, yeah, he really did. And, and um, I just, I felt like he was waiting for people to feel sorry for him or, you know, like he was waiting for somebody to say something. And, and when he realized that, um, this is America and nobody's going to feel sorry for you. He started to change, he started to change his attitude and towards the end of the season, it was a blast. You know, I, we really did. We, I tried to get him to come have a few beers with us after Alabama. And, um, so we, we had a great time to end off the season, but at the beginning, yeah, I was, I was ready to ghost ride my bike into him. <laughs> All right, so <laughs> so so let me bail you out of that one a little bit, okay? So Jason, this is for both of us. So so in in the news presented by Arai, which we haven't done yet, uh, there's there's one item I have in in the news, basically, Jason, that it, you know on on Crash.net, Robert Jones is reporting that Mark Marquez was talking about his relationship with Rossi, and he said I had the worst relationship with Rossi. Looking ahead at the factory Ducati team for 2023, you have Peko Bagnaia, who's part of the whole VR46 program, and then you have Anea Bastianini, JP. Anea Bastianini doesn't give two shits about Peko. Those guys, it's not like they don't get along, but they're just not like... We're, we're in an environment now, Cameron. See, the thing that's interesting about you, Cam P, is the fact that you you have all the background of racing from your dad and how things were in the 1970s, the 1980s. You know, he's tight with... Chuck Axelin and and obviously raced some of the best in the world. Now we're in this situation where we have a paddock. It seems like in MotoGP and it feels like at times in our paddock that everybody's friends. I know you're really tight with Matthew Skultz and you get along with Jake and everything else. I'm curious from both of your perspectives, current racer, Jason, obviously been retired now for about 25, 26 years. Thanks. Is, is it better? Do you feel from an internal standpoint and obviously from a fan standpoint to have strife in the paddock, to have people like Petrucci come in and be like enemy number one, at least for a short period of time, or does it feel better to go to work when you're friendly with everybody in the paddock when you're off the racetrack? So Cameron, you first. I mean, obviously I'm just the kind of person I hate bad relationships with anybody. I just, I'm that kind of guy. So, um, you know, some people, some people might think that that being angry or, or hating your competition is gonna want, gonna make you want to beat them more. Um, which maybe some people might need that, but you know, just for me and in my opinion, I Maddie is my best friend, but I'm gonna and we both have the understanding when it comes Saturday Sunday, we're gonna race each other as hard as possible. It doesn't change anything off of the track. On the track, when the visors close, it's every man for himself. And we all have that understanding. Yeah, we, we've got a little bit more respect for each other. You know, I think there's, there's some moments, there's some passes that I might not do that I'll do on other people. But, um, yeah, I, I just, I don't feel the need to, to hate any of my competitors. And, and as a fan, and obviously the fans love drama. They love to see drama, but it could it could go both ways as well. And obviously we're not brothers, but then you've got, you know, the Lawrence brothers and the motocross side of things. Obviously they're brothers, they get along great. And it's because it's family, but still people, all they want to do is see those two race against each other. 
Yeah, I mean, you know? we we had it with the Haydens too. There there were plenty of times yeah. when we had yeah. Hayden brothers that were in the same class at the same time, and and, and, uh, and yeah, yeah, and, and which I, I completely get it. And I know me, Maddie, and Jake aren't brothers, but you know, I still feel like if people understood that these are three best friends going racing against each other, trying to beat each other, it's it's kind of cool, you know. Mm-hmm. Jason, what do you think? Well, yeah, I came I came from a little bit different time where there was a lot of hostilities in the paddock. <laughs> I think, you know, the thing was though, Cam, is that it there was a lot of money back then. There was a lot of money, and and you actually could get a ride if you proved yourself and you did things. I mean, nowadays I look at our paddock and there's you know there's good four or five good rides available for people out there, and you're and you're fortunate enough to be in one of those seats. And everybody, I was like you, I just wanted to get along with everybody. I, I I didn't have any reason to to hate somebody to beat them or or I would hope that that they would understand that whatever happened on track happened on the track and you know keep it right. Safe. But that said, if if somebody went out of their way to 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 kind of piss you off, for sure you didn't care as much. I mean, I looked at the battle that you and Petrucci had at Laguna and I kind of felt like you had that on your shoulders of like there's no way I'm letting him beat me. It's just not going to happen no matter what, no matter it, because at that point we were kind of at the height of some of the things that have been going on in our series. And I kind yep. of felt like you had it in your brain that like, I'm at Laguna. This is the place that, it, you know, everybody loves Laguna and the battle you guys had. And I thought it was clean. I thought it was fair. Even what happened in the corkscrew, I'm like, Hey, give it as good as you get it. And you know, some of the things that people think should be penalties. I'm like, Hey, let them, let them race. Um, and, and for me, I didn't have any problem with that, but it's great to know that even at the end of the year, you were still welcoming, welcoming, you know, Danilo in to to, uh, yeah. to get a drink and all. Obviously, that Obviously, it, it was a different story with with Baz last year. I yeah. mean, yeah, that guy. Yeah, that was a completely different story. But um, but yeah, yeah. You know, it's so funny about the Baz thing. You know, it's it's really weird because there were things. It, things never look as bad to me when I'm watching it, Greg. Greg and I, again, we'll sit there and we'll call a race and we'll talk about it afterwards. And I'm like, I don't know what people are bitching about. Like, I don't like, right. unless it's completely like egregious and, and somebody's going out of their way. I, I don't think Cam that anybody puts a helmet on with the intent to go out there and actually run into somebody ever. I honestly don't believe that. I think that every now and then as a racer, you're making a, an instinctual call of, I think I can make it. And sometimes that door closes and there's contact or, or we, or somebody hits us and takes us down, but I don't ever think that's really the intent. Yeah, absolutely, no, for sure. But I mean, also, I guess to a point when a guy is hitting you every single race, every single weekend, it's yeah. like <laughs> I get it, right? We're riding hard. It's okay. We're racing. I understand. But it's like when he's the only guy doing it, it's like, hey, like something needs to happen. Yeah, guys are hungry now. I got, a, I got a question to ask you. This would be a really interesting question, but. Uh, and we won't keep it too much longer. Sorry, but I, this is a this is a good question for you. I think you were on track with Baz, and you were on track with Petrucci. Um, and I look at what Danilo had this year compared to what Baz maybe had last year. Um, when you look at the two guys and you look at the two riders, do you feel that if Baz had maybe all the things that Danilo had this year, that Baz would have been more competitive than he was? Ooh. That that is a good question, and it's tough to answer because it's tough to answer because riding against both of them and and 
even just looking at their career, it's hard to it's hard to know if Baz would have been able to go any faster, even if what he had because of all the issues that they ran into a chatter and and all of that stuff, you know. Um, I felt like they kind of rode the bike in a very similar fashion, you know, mm-hmm. very very hard on the brakes, trail brake a long way into the corner. So I feel like they rode in a very similar fashion. Um, it is, it's, I do feel like Danilo did, he rode the bike quite a bit smoother and he did some stuff that, that was a little bit better than what Baz did. Um, I don't know. It's, it's really hard to say, JP. Yeah. I, it's, yeah. it's really hard to, to say wow, if he would have gone any faster or, yeah, a lot of it too is going to be crew. You know, and they've had That's two different exactly years, right. two different crew, crew chiefs who they're bringing in and stuff. It's it's kind of the communication of it all. To really, I, I I get it's a it's a thought provoking question for sure. And like MotoGP posted like something on Twitter or whatever yesterday that was like, given any time any time in their career, you know, who would you have on your team or whatever? And well, it's like, well, I guess oh, I could well, I could put it this way too. Who would you bring too. back to race now? I, I I could put it this way too, you know, and and. This will be a question that maybe you guys can can look at together. And I looked at like what Baz did here, okay, and then he gets a couple wild card rounds over at Jerez and Portimao at the end of the year and puts it on the podium with a team that hadn't been on the podium much. And so I sit there and I think, to me, I really kind of rated Baz, and I don't really feel like the bike and the crew at the time for him were the best. And like going into two thousand and twenty three. Do we see Petrucci putting it on the box over in World Superbike um, like that? So that but that was more the the, the reason for my yeah. question. Well, having said that, I mean, yeah. Hold having on, can, said can, that, can, before, look, before you answer that, let me let me let me throw this out there. I think that the speed of which you guys, meaning you know, whether it was Cambobier, you. Uh, Skoltsy, Gagne, right? The lot is uh, is world level, but it's done differently here in the States because we're on different tires. We're on different tracks. I understand all that. I think it surprised Baz and he had to push really hard. And I think it surprised Petrucci and it wore him out. That's what I think. I think Baz had a Moto America racing mindset and went to World Superbike and was back on tires that he liked and all that kind of stuff. And I think he pushed that hard, Jay. That's what I think happened. Yeah. And I think that Petrucci got caught on his back foot because he thought he was coming here, didn't have to work out, was going to go smoke everybody because he bought into the fact that he thinks that that people keep calling, not him, but people keep calling MotoGP racers so special. Like there's sub, like some superhuman beings because they're racing in MotoGP when yeah. we know inside – that some of that has to do with the fact that you got lucky and got a great financial sponsor that carried you through Moto3 and Moto2. And then, you know what I mean? You, you speak the right yeah. language or whatever. So that's my take on it. Uh, you know what I mean? So, Cam, obviously you have a racer's take on it. I just think that the thing is, Jay, that both those guys were caught on their back foot about how fast we actually are here in the States. Yeah, I agree. They they were definitely caught off guard. And, um, but... But JP, you are right. You know, looking at what Baz did when he went over there, I don't think Petrucci is going to do what he did. Yeah, yeah, and you it's know? it's no knock. You know, so, it's, it's no knock on Danilo. Um, it's no, and I ho- hopefully he makes me eat my words, and I hope he does. But um, you know, now that you said that, and I'm thinking about it, and and seeing what Baz actually did, 
for sure, obviously, I don't know the talent wise, but I think there was a little bit more hunger there, to be mm-hmm. honest, from Baz. Yeah, you know, I, agree. I think he 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 wanted to. Yeah, I think there was just more hunger there, and like he when when the bike wasn't perfect, I think he was able to ride around the situation more than what Danilo was. Yeah, and I think that some of the situations. And again, I'm an outsider now. I, I still feel like in my brain, I still, I'm much more of a racer still than I am a, a guy behind the, the microphone. I try to think about what you guys are thinking and try to put myself in scenarios. And I think that a lot of the yeah, things that I think, yeah, yeah, you and those novice championships. I think a lot of those guys, like like a Baz, he came over here hungry. He came over here with a desire. And, you know, you could probably look back on some of the stuff in your career and think to yourself, <laughs> what is wrong with you, G-Dub? Like, seriously, what is wrong with you? If you guys could see this clown, you know, I could see these both these guys. Anyways, the thing uh, is, is that... Hey, you got them champs. You yeah. remember how hung, you remember how hung, I like, I don't think that you're that much different of a writer now than you were two or three years ago mentally. Like, you want to go win and you want to beat everybody. But if you don't have what's underneath you, you're the one riding over the edge to get there. And I think that was a little bit yeah. of Baz's thing, is he was riding so yeah. hard to not yep. get smoked by you guys and that put him in some situations. But I think like you say, the hunger of that. Um, and I think we saw a little bit well, of did, that, did, that, you know, from did, Danilo Danilo crash at, did he crash at all this year in any of the races? None of the races, didn't he? No, I don't think oh, so. Well, I mean, no, he, he did. I'm trying to think which one it was. Flag. The ridge with the red flag. Yeah. The, yeah. Yes. The ridge with the red flag. And he broke. And then Brainerd, he had a high side, but that was all in practice and stuff. That was practice. Yeah. You know, I'm yeah. just like, just, just kind of thinking like that. Cause Baz, he pushed the front on that thing a lot and he went down in quite a few races and, hmm. and. Listen, Cam, yeah. I'm going to go to my grave. I know that when Gagne spun out at Brainerd, and Baz had the lead at one corner later, two corner, whatever it was. And he, was it Brainerd? Where was it? Was it? Yeah. yeah it was and, he tucked, and he yeah. tucked the front. I will go to my grave thinking that his brain went in French. Oh my gosh, it's my opportunity to win. I'm going for it. And he, and he I just, he lost his, he lost his noodle. And, and right. The excitement first left-hander we go into after sitting on the start line. Right, yeah, right, right, right. All those like first left-hander. Yeah, but you know what? Everybody forgets about that. What everybody forgets about that is that you guys had done a lap. It wasn't like – I mean, lap, you, had, yeah. you, had, you had done a lap. You had done yeah, a warm-up warm lap. lap. You had yep. done a warm-up lap, and you had done one full and race lap, one and you went into lap. there. And 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 when that happened to me – we had there, already done one full race lap? Yeah, because yeah. Gagne passed him on yeah, the opening sure. lap going into turn three. And that's oh, what I was like, see, I, are they kidding me right now with this shit? Like, I couldn't believe that it was like front tire – I mean – Look, there's just certain things that you got to own up to as a writer. And all, you go, all, look, all I'm saying yeah. is I really like Loris Baz. I think he had a great year. Oh, yeah, he I was too. always positive. I, yeah. I know that he was banging off you guys on the racetrack, but from a commentator standpoint, that was good for us. But I, I also just think that you know that it was it's more. It's that that the U.S. has a perception right now. Moto America has a perception that people think that it's slow. I think that if that's slower than people really give it credit for. If Petrucci goes and puts it on the podium, I will be surprised, but I will also be happy for Moto America because it shows you the level. I, I don't think that Stamboli and particularly Gagne were 100% prepared for what was ahead of them. They didn't get to test the, the Pirellis and everything in World Superbike. 
for sure we all know on this podcast that they did not show the true potential of what Cam, of what Jake Gagne can do and what that attack team can do. I do think that a little bit of it is, is, is a function of the way that Pirelli makes speed. The Pirelli makes speed on the front versus the rear, and I think some of it's that. Obviously, some of it's the bike setup. So I, you know, you can't look at Gagne's results on that one off ride and say, well, that's how fast people are. Gagne's the champ and he finishes whatever it was. Well, you know, you know, the thing is just real quick. I mean, the thing is like, you just look at that one weekend and just to back up the Dunlops, we can only break so hard on the things like even at Virginia this year, you know, we get to a certain point where the thing starts locking up straight up and down. Those Pirelli's, I don't think they really do that. And, you know, you ride certain tires for a certain amount of time. You get used to that that braking, how you get to the brakes, how you brake. And I think on the data, there were some points where, like, you should have seen Top Rex, how late he was getting on the brakes and how he was getting into turn one compared to Jake. I mean, but then Jake would smoke everybody on the exit, smoke everybody on the exit, you mm-hmm. know. But that, that's, like you said, the Pirellis are just so different. You ride them in such a completely different way that Jake was honestly really, really fast. It was just couldn't get into the corners. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Yeah. Just from habits. I mean, think about habits. trying to make your career here and how you do it. And Gagne's done it in his own way. And he does it with Dunlop trying to maximize the potential of what Dunlop brings to the table, which is acceleration. Let's get away from all that. I'm curious to find out you get your first test in the off season. And the first laps you do are on Dunlop Q5s. Uh, on street, t- you know, on track day tires, on a full blown superbike. I'm just curious as to what that experience with no warmers, was like. with no, no warmers, warmers either, no warmers, yeah. right? What was that experience like? I think it's it was so cool. Obviously, when we got there, I was a little bit nervous. <laughs> it's kind of kind of cold, um, but no. After literally after a couple laps, and you can really trust the front. You can get into the corners really good, but I've haven't had that much fun on a road race bike in a long, long, long time. <laughs> I mean, it was just, you could spin the thing up. There was a few times coming out of turn one at Button Willow where I literally felt my handlebars touch the lock, <laughs> like get to the fully locked out. It, it was so much fun. Um, I, I think we were only like three, or four? three, or, three yeah. or four seconds off of our, our Fast. Normal fast times, our best times around there, yeah. which is incredible and it's, it's crazy. If if those tires end up being the intermediate tire for Moto America, you, you, you know, what are your thoughts on that? I I think amazing. You know, they can obviously handle some pretty cold conditions, no warmers. They've um, 110. I probably would have used that tire Road America and New Jersey this year. Hmm. Um, yeah, you know, races. so. Um, yeah, just looking at it like that, I think it's I think it's beneficial to bring it into the series. Because, um, you know, Road America was, even New Jersey, Road America, we were quite a long way off our times. And and if if those tires can go three, four seconds off of our dry time, then, you know, we I think we're definitely going to be using those. I think there's some logistical things to figure out. You know, we know how many trucks Dunlop already brings to the racetrack, and they're normally full of tires. How do you you know, bring another 200 tires to the racetrack. So I think they're working on that. So yeah, you know what I mean? Like it's like in our brains, we just go, yeah, bring the tires. It'll be great. But obviously there's some some things to think about. (laughs) So, so tell us a little bit about your winter. Okay. So how are you going to train? And then you, you test now say at the end of January, um, what is it that you have in mind, you and the team and Stambul, your crew chief, 
What is it that you're looking to improve for 2023? And um, the addition of uh, Josh Heron on the Ducati, is that something that you're thinking about as well? No, not really thinking about that. But um, no, so this, just this winter, you know, um, like I said, having a contract going to the off season has made it, honestly, if anything, it's, it's kind of motivated me more um, to just be better, stay fit. And so, you know, I've been doing my thing, riding my bicycle, um, but going into to next year, I know what we need to work on, uh, work on, um, you know, Richard's, Richard's got some pretty cool things in the works. So um, that's a nice smile you got on your face there, buddy. A little yeah, wry yeah, smile. Yeah. Well, you got Richard's just... got some things in the works. You know, something's <laughs> happening. I'll let you guys figure it out when we show up with it. But um, <laughs> uh, <yeah. laughs> no, so we, like I said, the team, Richard, we, they never stand in store. They're always trying to improve. Um, you know, obviously one thing I think I need to work on, really need to work on for next season is, is, um, sort of the last quarter of, of my race. Um, so yeah, I'm going to be working on that quite a bit on my dirt bike, kind of simulating certain things. Um, uh, but I feel like if I can figure out that last quarter of the race in terms of just even some of my stuff mentally and, and physically, I think we'll be good. I think we'll be really good. Are you a goals type person? Are you saying to yourself, I want to win the championship or I want to win five races? Or are you someone that says, okay, I just want to go out and perform my best and see where the chips fall? I used to set myself goals, um, you know, and there were always goals that were pretty outrageous. Um, but, uh, you know, the more, I've, the more I've grown up and the more later on I, I'm into my career, I kind of just, I don't really set myself goals. I just, try to perform as best as I can every single time, no matter what, no matter what, if, if that means I finished 10th, but I'm riding as hard as I possibly can, then so that's be where it. it is. Know? Yeah. And yeah. there was a time when that wasn't there. That's, that's perspective cam. That's like, now you know who you are and you know what you're capable of and you know what your team's capable of. And if on the day something weird happens, whether it be weather or a bike or whatever the case is, you know, like I thought it was amazing this year when you won at uh, at Road America in those conditions, and we didn't see Gagne on the podium once, and yet he was still over there at the podium with you guys, congratulating the team and going like, I mean, that's perspective. That's a guy that knows that he's you know he's won a championship, he knows he's capable of winning races. He left everything on the table for himself that those two days, and he just didn't get on the podium. Just was the way it was, and uh, uh, and I think that what you just said there it shows that you've got that same mentality. No, I appreciate that, JP. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, it's, take, it's taken a while, but we finally, <laughs> we finally slowly starting to figure it out. So and you great. continue to grow, man, and that's the beautiful thing about it, especially because you have this two-year deal. You know where you're headed next year. Well, Cameron Peterson, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast, man. We certainly appreciate it, and uh, good luck to you for 2023. And we look forward to getting you back on the podcast and talking about your national championship next year winning that number one. <laughs> oh, wait, sorry. No goals. No, 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 no long-term goals. goals. Yeah. Don't do yeah that. Just, no, yeah. listen, man. Thanks so much. We really appreciate it. <laughs> no, I've had a blast guys. Thanks for having me on and uh, look forward to seeing you guys soon. And uh, G double catch you on the sticks. Yeah. JP, you know we also, we got to go play some. Hey, I'm, I'm ready. Different you sticks. Tell, hey, next week. Yeah. I don't know where you're at. Get up here. Let's go. Let's come yeah. play. Seriously. I'm in. Come, in. No Come up here next week. Tuesday. Hey, oh. on the podcast. Listen to this right now. Look, stop with the 
Oh, oh yeah, you guys both do this together, don't you? You guys both the play Xbox controllers all charged up and ready to roll. Some college next Tuesday. Duty. Next Tuesday, Cam, come Mini up. Mini breakfast. Come up. You can yeah. play my club. Yeah. DM next right. Tuesday. I'm in. You guys heard it here on the podcast. He's committing. Which you know. Next right. Tuesday, I'll be there. All right, adorable. All right, we gotta let Cam go. Oh, let's let's yeah. move on. See you, Cam. Else. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Thank you. Bye, thank, you. thank you. Bye, See bye. you later. All right. So with that, let's go ahead and move to our news presented by Arai. I, I, dude, I, this, it goes too long for some reason. Whatever. Oh, I you have are no idea. Hey, JP, did you know that every Arai helmet is meticulously handmade by craftsmen and women who are actively participating in the Arai mission to present the highest quality level of protection and quality? Almost everybody, by the way, rides at who works at Arai. Now, from the shell to the paint to the liner, the work is performed by hand by experienced, focused specialists. Just one more reason to check out AraiAmericas.com or visit your local Arai dealer for a proper fit and check out those kick-ass paint jobs. All right, Jay. So I mentioned a little bit about what's going on with the Ryan news, but we're going to start off with some Moto America stuff. The Warhorse HSPK Ducati New York team has announced their 2023 plans. Josh Heron gets the nod to jump onto the Superbike after his national championship in Supersport, and they're bringing in Javi Forez. He's going to take Heron's national championship V2 into Supersport next year. I think he's 35 years old. JP, what do you think? About that situation, about having Forez here, and uh, and Heron bumping up the superbike, it's a it's a hey, it's great. All of it's great. It's going to be for Chevy Forez. I mean, he has kind of been everywhere, hasn't he? I mean, he rode World Superbike this year, and he was in BSB. I know he'd been there, and I know he'd ridden over in some of the other national series around the world. So, for Chevy Forez, for us to see him here, what a treat! I would have loved to have seen him on a superbike. It's too bad they couldn't field two superbikes because I think yeah. that. That's where they could probably gain a lot of experience as far as how, you know, if you have two superbike riders, they can bounce things off each other and maybe make the bike better and do this and that. I think for Josh Heron, it's just all a matter of where his head is going into the season because, man, again, talent level. I mean, like, you and I've talked about it. And I've, you know, me and Josh Hayes have talked that I see the kid do things on a racetrack and you go, whoa, the only guy I could think of that does stuff like that in my mind is Corey Alexander. There's things that Corey does where I just go, wow, stuff that surprises me. Um, I would love to see Josh Heron running up front. I think he's going to be motivated. I think if he could keep the mental in a good place on the bad weekends where maybe he's not right at the front, maybe he's running third, fourth, fifth, whatever, um, because on any given weekend he can win, I think. Physical fitness is going to be a thing as far as the, these bikes down G-Dub are so much harder to ride, in my opinion, only because of the physicality that you can ride them in. Because of the help that these motorcycles give you, you can ride them harder. And I think if Heron comes in fit and strong and motivated, this is a great opportunity for him. I mean, a great opportunity for him to go back and win a second Superbike championship. So I would love nothing more than to see him battling it with these guys. And uh, Chabi Forrest. I mean, getting used to a super sport bike again, uh, less power. Uh, he's going to be used to what a Ducati does. He spent a lot of time on those. I think, Greg, when he went to uh, BSB, I think he was on a BMW when he was there. Uh, I, think, I, can't, I think you're I, right. I, yeah. I can't so at least we know sure. that like in BSB, but, he's used to yeah. no rider aids. Because keep in mind, the V2 doesn't have any rider aids. Like it's it's not part of next generation. You know, no traction yeah. control, none of that stuff. So And he knows that, that bike that, won the championship. The and he know that mm-hmm. bike won the championship last year. And he knows that mm-hmm. a lot of things that we've heard about, you know, 
I still don't. I still believe that there's somebody in the world that can get on a Ducati on Dunlops here and win races. I don't think that that's just the the easy way out. And I think I think Heron will he'll push that bike hard. I think he'll he'll ride the thing hard. Uh, but for Chavi, yeah, I, I mean, I like the idea you know, with Chavi. I mean, I I, I agree with yep, you 100. Yep. I would rather see two super bikes. But on the other hand, I think if you look at the talent that's available to ride the bike. And you look at the talent Josh Heron has, you look at the fact he knows all the tracks, he knows the Dunlop tires, and he comes with a fresh mindset. He's not coming from MotoGP where everything was perfect and you had all this kind of stuff that maybe he's going to bring a different perspective, maybe a different riding style, and it's going to suit, maybe help that chatter a little bit. We talked about the Marquez thing already, which I had in there about um, you know his him having a bad relationship with Rossi. But Jay, uh, here's something that when I read it, this morning, I thought, oh, this has got JP written all over it. According to <laughs> Crash.net, Gigi Delinia has not ruled out a Suzuka eight-hour appearance for Peko Bagnaya because Bagnaya has said that he's got an interest in running that endurance race. And Gigi's quote in this article that I read was, quote, I hope to be able to make it come true for him. What do you think about this day and age? We've seen less and less of MotoGP riders and stuff, whether it's scheduling conflicts or maybe putting the rider at risk. Maybe the length of the freaking championship is so long not going to the eight hour, like, you know, back in your day, my day, we'd see people come over, do the 200. We'd see more people participate in the Suzuki eight hour. What do you think about Pecco wanting to do the eight hour and Ducati interested in participating, which I think would be a pretty monumental task for them to get something Uh, ready for that. It would, it would definitely, it would definitely um, put that race back in another, in another place again. Steve English and I were just talking about this when he was here last week and the eight hours lost a lot of its luster. Um, it's it's not what it used to be. I the first year I went, Greg, and this is really embarrassing to tell you, but it was all, it was thirty it was thirty years ago I went and I had breakfast with Wayne Gardner by accident. I ended up, you know, you kind of they would give you these tickets to get breakfast, and there was a guy sitting at a table by himself, and there was no other tables, and I just went over there and I sat down, and it was Wayne Gardner, and I was like, oh my gosh! And then next thing you know, Wayne Gardner's talking to me, and you know, I was young, I was really young then, so I was twenty years old or twenty one, whatever I was, but. The thing was, is that talking to him that day, the thing I remember most was how gray his hair was. And he was probably early thirties and those, those, those 500s, they, they made those guys grow a little bit older pretty quickly. And my next recollection of that race was I had crashed during it and I had picked my bike up and I had to ride my bike around the circuit G-Dub and on my way in coming down uh, the back straightaway before uh, 180R, which is the really fast left-hander at the end of that straightaway. I remember I was holding the throttle on the tank because I broke the snap. I snapped the, the, the throttle off. And uh, so I- The bar. The bar, broke the, bar. the bar, yeah. And there's a guy in front of me who's nursing his bike back who I'm, you know, I'm catching. I'm doing, I'm doing 50 mile an hour and he's doing 20. <laughs> yeah. We're on the far right-hand side of the racetrack. And he's got two flat tires. He's crashed himself. And this mm-hmm. thing is wobbling all over the place. And Mick Dewan went by us so fast. That was the first time I'd ever been that scared in my entire life on a racetrack. Like I was like, what am I doing? This is insanity. But that race had all the MotoGP guys and all the world Superbike guys, even in 14, 13, when I was there, Johnny Ray was over there on the Honda and Vandemark was there. There was there was still a lot of luster. Nikki Hayden, I mean, was over there with me. Colin, I've I've been in that Colin, race with yeah. Colin Edwards and Valentino, and and uh, you know it, the list goes on. Boy, wouldn't it be great to see Ducati 
make an effort to walk into Japan at Honda's home track and try to win the eight hour. What a story that would be. (laughs) It would be a great story anyway. So Jay, that's about it. That's news presented by Arai and I don't have much more. Um, You know, we have, it's the 21st. We have Christmas on Sunday. Uh, You know, we'll try to get a podcast out on that Tuesday. I don't know what your plans are. I know I'm going to be up on Cape Cod visiting my mom until Wednesday but I'll be back uh, late Wednesday night. So I don't know what we have planned. Hopefully we'll have some content out for you over the Christmas break. We know that people travel a bit and like to listen to the podcast. So that's pretty much it for me. Um, It's been a good one. I cannot thank Cameron Peterson enough for finally getting connected with us and and with your scheduling conflicts and his scheduling and stuff like that. We finally got it done, but I thought it was a great time talking with him. And I hope we asked him questions that you, you, everybody, everybody out there wanted answered. So, yeah, I think he's look. To be fair, G Dub, we have a lot of class acts in our in our paddock, and uh, you know, I think for us, it's the fact these guys come on the show. It's a huge thanks to them. Um, I'm very key on. There's a few more guys. I, I want to know what Gagne's thinking going into the year. Matthew Skultz. I want to know what Josh Heron thinks about his new ride. So we'll do our best to try to get a few of these guys on before uh, before next year. It sounds like. Sounds like PJ Jacobson is back with Titlers, from what I'm understanding. Love to get Corey on and hear about the step from Stock Thousand up to Superbike. So there are some people on um, that 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 I know I'd like to talk to. And if our listeners have people out there that they would like us to to look into chatting with, uh, we could definitely try to get that done. But for now, G Dub, first off, Merry Christmas to you. Thanks for all you do for me and uh, and this podcast. And to all our listeners out there, I hope you all have a great holiday season, a great Christmas, um, and uh, we'll talk to you. We'll talk to you after uh, the big man brings all the presents. See you later, everybody.